into positions of hopelessness and helplessness. The government gives them the drugs, builds bigger prisons, passes a three-strike law, and then wants us to sing God Bless America. No, no, no. Not God Bless America. God damn America. That's in the Bible for killing innocent people. God damn America for treating us citizens as less than human. God damn America as long as she tries to act like Okay. Hello, I forgot I was hosting. Hi, this is Jake. I have a handlebar mustache now because I was Fred Durst for Halloween. And I forgot that after that's over, if you shave your face for a Halloween costume, guess what? You just have a handlebar mustache. It's going to be a very awkward few weeks as we get used to the new me and my beard slowly grows back in. But I trust that you listening will... uh, Come with me on a journey. Alex Patak is here. Hey, everyone. No handlebar mustache here. Anders Lee is here. Anders Lee Fear, which I'm still using because it's still Halloween in my head. I have not moved on. I'm still watching scary movies, much to my girlfriend's chagrin. I don't want to. I, I, I can't conceive that this is November yet. It doesn't feel like it's real. It's still and Halloween. Also, still very scary outside. That's Have right. Seen. What happened on Tuesday in these damn elections? <laughs> Very good. Very <laughs> spooky. The world's not good. Liberalism is bad. And voting doesn't work. And yeah, Democrats. Should, if you want okay. to uh, put on something really frightening, you could wear a ballot outside. <laughs> there you go. <laughs> oh, what's no. on those Are you going to vote? <laughs> you fool. It's controversial and either damage control or it doesn't work or you still should kind of do it and it's we're in a never-ending argument about that Ooh, are you afraid i'm the bill on capitol hill <laughs> look i no. didn't vote uh because i can't and i'm jealous of you guys dc is the first place i've lived in where you can't vote every year it's only oh, no, even that years must be tough it's very frustrating for me. I like filling out the thing. We know and, you do. Uh, <laughs> yeah. It's like edging for you. Yeah. Right. It's yeah, it's not real politics, but it's the it feels like it is. Um but yeah, you guys had the opportunity to vote and you didn't, but I, I can't. There's literally nothing in DC uh on on odd years, so that's frustrating. And as we were talking about before we started, me and Jake both did not vote. Making it, <laughs> throwing salt in Anders' wound, his voting <laughs> wound. Yeah, man, it's crazy. We've been doing this podcast for a while, and like, back, especially back in like the early Bernie days, and ESA was all doing stuff. I was so excited about voting. And oh my god! I've gotten, I've gone through a journey, and I'm, I still do it, and it's important, and all the stuff. But you know, it's one piece of a huge picture and i kind of love not voting now like it makes me feel like you know like kind of devious like like it's fun to it's bad i should have voted right jake with a goatee does not vote yeah no (laughs) there's no goatee goatee is if you have a chin i only have leather daddy handlebar mustache but that's all this guy also doesn't vote he <laughs> wants you to know about it, and he writes to grab him by the handles and tell him to vote. It's probably Take better for the, handles. It's probably better for society that that guy doesn't vote. 
Uh, yeah. Yeah, yeah, you don't know what kind of twisted shit he's gonna write in. Yeah. Right. I mean, since Bernie, it's it's just he's back to the write old in me. Byron Brown in the New York City <laughs> Bears election. <laughs> so, so you should have done. Yeah. Well, that's what I do. You know, that's it's you know, it's it's nice when you have someone good who will win, but most of the time, it's just the people who won't win or the the joke, the gag candidates. I wrote in uh, hamster with a funny hat once for a judgeship. Oh my York. god! Uh, and you like, I, I love being able to Google, you know, uh, Jill Stein twenty twelve or whatever, and see my number up there in that like that small number of people who voted for it. Like that's me. It would be one less if it wasn't for me. I can true. see it. We almost had it for Kumail for president, and look what happened. <laughs> now Did you really? <laughs> Now he's not president. He's king. Now he's king, though. Yeah. So my did you really vote for Kumail? I can't. I can't remember. No, I really did for president last year. (laughs) He seemed like he had a lot of uh, traits he could bring to the job. (laughs) Yeah, and it was like you know serious. We got to get rid of this Trump guy. And I was like, well, I think Kingo could kick his ass. I don't know who Kingo was yet, but I was like, laser beams. And Alex, you voted for you wrote in Jill Stein, isn't that right? I voted for Jill Stein three times, and <laughs> as a rule, she is my go-to for all elections moving forward until proven otherwise. <laughs> you have to earn my vote away from Queen Jill Stein, because I am committed, body and spirit, to getting this woman in, whether she's alive or dead, because I'm a young man. This could keep going for a while. Yeah, as we, we vote, I mean, I, I went for Hawkins this time. I probably should have gone LaRiva, but whatever. Um, but oh. there. Oh. There's an alternate universe out there where you and I are blamed for President Mitt Romney in 2012. If uh, I hope so. Yeah, Jill Stein played a decisive role in that. But. I will be so fucking surprised if Mitt Romney at this stage in the game wins over the Republican Party. <laughs> now that they're <laughs> fully Trump-pilled, if he's like, no, I mean, no, 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 no. no I mean, like back. In 2012, counter. yeah, oh, okay. in tw- in 2012, counter. if he had won, we would have been blamed. Yeah, I forgot we were doing counterfactuals. Yeah, Did I, you I see would Mitt hope Romney's that would happen. Halloween costume, though, he went as the uh, delightful Ted Lasso, Ted Lasso. we all enjoy, and it's illegal to say mean things about. Uh, and it's, <laughs> he's got a. I think he's coming back with a vengeance because everyone's mandatory that you like Ted Lasso, the comedy show with no jokes in it. <laughs> right. <laughs> And before we get into all the election stuff, because that is going to be the meat of the episode, it is important that we discuss the Halloween goofs and uh, and spoofs. And Ted Lasso Mitt Romney, uh, very important because it revealed a side story for electoral politics, which is that he is uh, life-threateningly horny for Kirsten Cinema, and he wants to wear her as a mask. Yeah. The, yeah, he, he wore the Ted Lasso thing and then gave her a cookie on one knee or something. Yeah, it was very upsetting. Does Ted Lasso do that? I haven't seen the show. It's part of the show. He gives, oh, okay. like, he makes these cookies for his uh, boss or whatever. But it was something about the the image was like disturbingly horny. You have to understand if you haven't seen that show, it just looks like he's proposing to marry Kirsten Sinema. <laughs> yeah. No, it's the cookie that I jacked off on. That's what he's giving it to her, and he knows how popular that is on the internet. He's trying to get votes from our um, 
It was nice of you to mail that to him. <laughs> yeah, well, I just made a new one. I mean, it have to be the same one. Every you know? Halloween, I mail Mitt Romney a cum cookie. It usually gets returned, but this year made yeah. it to Christensen. <laughs> but they seemed like they were having fun with it, so, you know, good for them, I suppose. Yeah, I mean, no matter your politics, you have to respect young love. And that's what right. this is. I don't, is that? Okay. I mean, yeah. If. <laughs> no. if <laughs> no matter your politics. I do think, and I don't want to get too morbid here, but if Ann Romney, Mitt's wife, were to pass away, and she does have um, some medical issues, but if she were to pass away, Jesus I think Christ. this were to be, this would be a you know a hot item. I think she, I think he would convince her to convert, and she would be a GLBT Morbin, which I don't think that's allowed, but they might make an exception if Mitt fucking Romney is the one to to push it. I I foresee a future where that happens. If she yeah. she could be like Mormon representation for the bisexual couch. Exactly. Yes. Yeah. She would probably have a good time with his dancing horses. You know, that's yeah. like she would take fun Instagram selfies with. Do you remember how his horses danced? No. This Mitt was Romney? a controversy during the Romney Obama election. He is it's just because he's like rich. And this is a weird thing that rich people have. Is when you're horses. rich, you have dancing horses. It's America. <laughs> Their thing is that they like shuffle back and forth, and it's like a cute, adorable thing. <laughs> but it's like an extravagantly weird thing to own. <laughs> <laughs> We've broken their time. spirit. Look at their little shuffle. <laughs> Making them dance like that. Horses only do this when they're extremely distressed. It's <laughs> uh, actually yeah, probably true. But uh you could you can see her dancing with the horses, you know? She likes to do she likes photo ops. She loves photo ops. Yeah, I don't I wonder how yeah. I guess she yeah, she's an outdoors person. I think she'd like it. Um Man, they both have really weird names too. Can you imagine them just passionately in the heat of making love to each other? Like Mitt, <laughs> and the camera zooms out until you go to the stable next door, and the horses are shuffling. Yeah, <laughs> they they dance when he when he busts. They know they can feel it. <laughs> I don't know if he's allowed to bust actually. Oh right, because he's Mormon. No. Doesn't he have a bunch of kids? Yeah, but they have ways of doing it. That uh... yeah, he soaks. <laughs> <laughs> more and more people are saying soaks, and I don't know what it is, and it makes me scared. It's this thing that apparently Mormon kids do because they're not supposed to fuck. Where it's not technically fucking if you don't like if you don't move like back and forth and make fucking motions. So you don't pump. And so what you do is you you soak by just sticking your dick in your girlfriend's pussy. And then you have a friend. I can't remember what his name is, but there's like what? a second guy who grabs you from behind. And then he does the movement for you. So you're not technically fucking. This is a real thing. See, this is why this is one of the only uh, subcultures in America left with community, because they have traditions <laughs> that bring people in. I want to know when this is happening. Who is moving Mitt? <laughs> one of his sons probably one tag or whatever his fucking kids names Ooh, are they won't... tag yeah. <laughs> or it's just one of the horses just shuffling around <laughs> <laughs> you tie his back to the horse and then he makes like a and the horse starts shuffling <laughs> and it pulls him back and forth in and out of his wife 
She's like, thank <laughs> you, Dixie. Not his wife, Chris Christian. Whoever, whoever he's doing it with. Yeah, whatever. Now, for the wife, there's probably full hip thrusting because he's earned it. You That's can do right. it when you're married. I think so. You guys are making me question everything I know about Mormonism. <laughs> no one knows how they procreate. Did you see the uh, post with the woman who wore a robe to a party and then was very disappointed no one knew she was Ruth Bader Ginsburg? <laughs> oh, yes. And she wants everyone to go to a re education camp so they yeah. can learn their Supreme Court feminist icons. That's such uh, a funny, uh, great leap forward institution. The Ruth Bader Ginsburg picture re education yeah. camp. Yeah. <laughs> I love that somebody was just like, great costume, Professor McGonna Gale. <laughs> 40 <laughs> points for Gryffindor. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it's. The obvious answer here is that she did a bad job with the costume. You got to put some wrinkle makeup on, wear the glasses, do an New York accent, you know. Yeah, I mean, if you do a low effort costume, that's fine. But don't like get all high and mighty about it later. Right. Don't no scold the it. rest of us for not knowing your young Ruth Bader Ginsburg. That's not <laughs> a costume. <laughs> yeah. Hey, I'm Bruce Springsteen. I'm wearing jeans. Right. That's good. The fact that I've, you can't all tell I'm Bruce Springsteen means you gotta be shot by the police. <laughs> I'm definitely guilty of both, but what do you guys think is worse? Uh a, like a super low effort costume like that? Because usually when they're low effort, they're also high concept. They're like like I, I I'm again guilty of this. I went as uh Bruce Wayne once and I wore like a robe and it's like that's fucking annoying. But is that worse than Someone who doesn't wear a costume at all and tries to make some like meta, like I'm me or I'm a guy who didn't think of a costume. Like what? Which of those two is worse? The second the meta one, is one worse. sucks. That sucks. It's nothing. But it's worse. Than minimalist nothing. costume is actually often very funny. If it's just it's almost the only way to do it. I knew a guy who went as Bernie Mac one time and he was a white guy. And so everyone's like, are you going to do blackface? No, this is really funny, though. He didn't do blackface. He just bought those glasses with the bulged out eyeballs in them. And it was like, yeah, okay. <laughs> His eyes are always bugging out like that. That's Everybody funny. knows. Everybody knows about you. I did Paymon one year with the Burger King crown. Yeah, that was COVID, wasn't it? No. During COVID, I went super maximalist. And did an entire uh, Jellicle cat from Cats. That's Buster for Jones, the James Corden cat. I just remember one Halloween seeing a picture of you online that was like you in full costume being like, I slept through Halloween. Now I'm just outside <laughs> in a costume. Yeah, I think that was Paymon here. Well, you know where Ruth Bader Ginsburg is from is New York City, uh, bringing it back. And Big Apple. Yes. Uh, Congratulations to the person I and I'm jealous because I wanted to vote for for her, but uh, Kathy Rojas got a uh, uh, t looks like nearly twenty five thousand votes, so she That's came in third up. place. <clears throat> yeah, not bad. And in some parts of the city, she actually did better than Curtis Sliwa, which is cool. And she, <laughs> she's of course the um, Party for Socialism and Liberation nominee. Uh, and uh, that sort of um, cloaks something, though, which or maybe doesn't cloak something, which is that the Republicans have been making gains in New York City. Um, 
which is does not bode well. And this this election really, I think, in many ways shows how weak they are. Um, the it's funny because we're talking about the Democrats. Excuse me, the Democrats. Yes, yes, yes. Thank you for clarifying. Um, can I ask you before moving forward? So you, you sure. Keep- you were you were saying the Republicans are making gains in New York City. If you're a conservative New Yorker, why would you vote for a Republican when you have a Democratic Party that is completely captured by capital already? Like, what is in it for you? It's just culture war shit. Well, it's just that the the one party has been in charge of the area you live at every level of government and have has done nothing. Yes. So the other option is the other party. You know what I mean? And, you know, having lived in New York and talked to a lot of people and worked with people who, like, aren't political and don't vote, they're actually in, you know, our sort of theory of of the case as socialists is usually that, like, oh, there's this, you know, wellspring of people who actually agree with us on everything out there who just don't vote. And there's a lot of that, absolutely, but there are also a lot of people who are conservative and don't vote. Like I remember trying to convince my coworker to vote for Cynthia Nixon. He's like, ah, I don't own elections, but I think I'm a Republican. <laughs> it's like, this is a kid from like the Bronx. And, I actually want to like, throw all women in jail. Yeah, weird. Yeah. yeah. Right. So I think some of them are starting to come out, but also like the Democratic Party did a very poor job. Um, Eric Adams did not run a campaign. He went to, I believe, Monaco. Over the summer, instead of staying in New York to campaign, boss status. Uh, he loves yeah. not being at home, right? Um, and we were talking before the show, and there were uh, some ballot propositions in New York State as a whole that would improve uh, the ability to vote. It would make it easier for people to vote because New York has some of the worst voting laws in the country. Um, and the excuse that they use is like, hey, at least we're not Alabama, but it's like basically the same as the South. It's so restrictive. It takes, you know, you need to, if you want to vote and this, I've gotten screwed by this too. So I'm not, you know, I can't really get on my high horse, but, um, if you want to change parties, you know, I used to switch around independent Democrat, independent Democrat, and I had to stop because like, uh, it takes like a year. If you want to vote in the primary for a year later, you have to switch like a year in advance. It's a ridiculous deadline. That's um, another reason people might vote Republican because they're stuck in the party. In case they, oh, want if to they vote do the 40 chess thing where they switch to Republican to vote in their primary because they think that they're like James Bond. I almost no, did that it, with Ron Paul in, in 2012, speaking of 2012, but um. I just meant like if they were, oh, I want to vote again. I want to vote for the lady that's trying to primary AOC or whatever. In some oh, small yeah, yeah, yeah. oh, yeah, yeah. Now I'm locked in as a Republican, <laughs> so I have to vote for Curtis Sliwa, right? Well, uh, you don't have to vote in the general election for oh, your registration, right. yeah. But um, but basically, they totally, it looks like they dropped the ball on these uh, propositions. They asked Jay Jacobs. What happened? Well, here's the thing. Jay Jacobs uh, is the chairman of the Democratic Party and was asked about this and said, and nobody asked me. Nobody came up to me and asked me to to, to make an effort to, to get out the vote and shit. Um, like, no effort whatsoever. 
Um, and by the way, you know who else did not make an effort to get these uh, propositions passed is David Duke. And I'm not saying Jay Jacobs is David Duke. I am just uh, noting that fact. But he says, oh, I see what you did there. He says there was no initiative that we were asked to do by anybody to begin a campaign or undertake the financing of or the running of the campaign on these issues. Maybe in that sense, the ball was dropped. But I will tell you that it is not something that came to my attention. So the guy who's in charge of the Democratic Party and was appointed by or was basically a little pet of Andrew Cuomo um, did nothing to to get. And, you know, the Democrats are supposed to be the voting rights party, but they did nothing to get these things passed. And I can't help but think that this was something they didn't want to do because they like it this way. They like having very, very restrictive primaries. So the left it's very difficult for the left to come in and win. We're still doing it in a lot of cases, but um, they they don't want us to to they don't want to make things any easier for us. Uh, I mean, you don't have to speculate what he's thinking. He told you he was like, "Ah, I missed that. I, yeah, I don't yeah. care at all." Is <laughs> yeah, this isn't a surprise by this point, right? <laughs> they don't actually believe the shit that they say. It's right. bullshit. They'd vote new blue no matter who went out the fucking window as soon as India Walton got, you know, the, the nomination and Buffalo. Like there's lying. They're lying. Right. Stupid. They're bullshit. Yeah. The, can I reinterject a story real quick? Sure. Talk about voting. We need not pass this up. It's very good. One of the reasons Curtis Sliwa didn't do very well is because I don't think he was allowed to vote for himself. <laughs> yeah, that's he, like 15% of his base right there. Yeah. <laughs> he tried to vote, apparently, with his cat, which is, if you follow him on Twitter, he, obviously he's like horrible and evil, but he's very funny because he's a cat guy and he keeps his, his cat around. He takes a lot of cat pictures of his cat, Gizmo. He takes pictures of like bodega cats and he says like, he literally said like when he conceded sort of on Twitter, like this campaign was about working people and animals and the mentally ill. That was <laughs> 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 Which are like, you know, kind of all him, <laughs> him and his cat. So um, something really funny happened, which is we tried to bring Gizmo to go vote and you're like not allowed to do that. It's so he was denied entry and he had to give his cat to like uh, a, a poll worker so he could go inside. But then also you're not allowed to wear like a jacket with your own name on it. Yeah. If you're running. <laughs> so he got into this huge fight over his jacket because he always wears his guardian angel shit. Apparently he was yelling like, just fucking arrest me. That's branding <laughs> and that success mindset. Yeah. And uh, then eventually they just figured out a way to let him go vote. And when he tried to put his ballot into the machine, he jammed it. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. So uh, I think if that hadn't happened, he probably would have won. At the end of it, he said he he mentioned as Gizmo was almost euthanized after getting a fungus, which is really funny. Yeah. Unrelated to any of this shit. Um, he says Gizmo is on the kill list. Thank God my wife was able to save Gizmo, yada, yada, yada. Anyway, I think that's pretty much the whole story. Very funny, though. I would feel so nervous holding Curtis Lewa's cat for yeah. the 20 minutes he's in there fighting poll workers. <laughs> this guy, he's like a, it's like a founding guardian angel. He's going to do karate to you if you lose the cat. 
<laughs> you beat your ass in the street. <laughs> oh, fuck. I forgot the other thing. He was also hit by a taxi. <laughs> what? I didn't the see same that, day? Bro. No, it was the uh, Friday before. So I, all of this came in the wake of him getting hit by a fucking taxi. <laughs> That's what this um, campaign's been about. <laughs> what I want to know is he has like 14 cats or something like that. What made Gizmo the lucky kitty that got to go on a, a little field trip? I know, right? Probably because he almost died. Yeah, the fungus. He was almost killed by mushrooms. He's my little fungus so. buddy. But who knows? I mean, it's a good question. No one knows what's going on in the mind of Curtis. He's unvaccinated. Media isn't asking the questions of why, why this cat got selected for, for the Sliwa campaign. <laughs> it's interesting because I watched part of the debate. Uh, and they, and I wasn't aware of the cat aspect before this, but they were asked to say, Sliwan Adams, one thing they liked about each other. And Adams was like, I really love what he does with cats. Mm. <laughs> I was like, what the fuck? And then I realized he's a cat guy. And then they asked Sliwa what he, what he liked about Adams. And he said, I love the veganism. The fact that he's a vegan. I'm not strong enough to be a vegan, but I wish I could be. Right. Um, cats are carnivores. He has the mind of a cat. Yeah, that's that's true. I guess he's a natural predator. Right. Well, yeah, so it is uh, sad news in upstate western New York. India Walton did not win. And uh, I definitely got my hopes up for this. I know a lot of our listeners did. Um, Yeah, didn't she get like walloped too? It was pretty bad. I think 60% or something. Ridiculous shit. Yeah, I haven't looked at the final result, but it, it was it was bad. Um, but she did win. And this is getting sort of left out of the conversation when we're when we're, you know, rehashing it. But she won with black voters in Buffalo. Uh, the and I think, frankly, a lot of that had to do with the really racist caricatures of her in local media. Um that 100% worked and defeated her campaign by a yeah. guy who already lost the primary. <laughs> right. Because, yeah, they, I mean, th- this was really the white moderates who were decisive here. And obviously Brown did get uh, a f- decent share of black voters too. But what really did it was a solidified base of Republicans in Buffalo and then white moderates. Um, I would say it had something to do with the hundreds and hundreds of millions of dollars he spent. <laughs> Right. Yeah. And it's it's depressing, but like and we talked to I talked to CM Lewis uh on election night and he was talking about yeah, there were frankly some unforced errors that the Walton campaign made when it came to union relationships and stuff like that. But um I think this is a reminder that for the time being, we really can't get distracted by executive level races. Our best bet as Talking about you mean white people? I'm just kidding. Folks. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Hey. Go T right. Jake strikes again. Go on. <laughs> I've been owned. Oof, burn. Uh no, the the Democratic Socialists of America, if we want to have more power and influence and actually make a material difference in people's lives and actually build a machine that can one day, you know, start a revolution or just fundamentally change things in this country and hopefully the world. We need to start now with building uh, caucuses and 
majorities in city councils and state legislators. And that that's going to take time. But once we do that, then we'll be able to knock off more executive seats. Because if Walton had won, yes, there are some good things she could have done, but she would have been in the wilderness. There, The entire common council would have been dead set against her. The entire economy of Buffalo, basically all the, you know, the business community would have been dead set against her, the media. She would have been had no support. So I, frankly, I think a better in retrospect, and I'm not in Buffalo DSA and I was not privy to these discussions, but having talked to CM Lewis, who followed the race very carefully, uh, in retrospect, a better strategy would have been to start a little smaller and take off. And it's tough when you win a primary and it's like, boom, we actually did it. Fuck. Right. But you don't really live in like a functional democracy, so it doesn't really count. Right. Right. We're better off doing what has happened in New York, which not as many seats as as we wanted in New York City. I mean, um, but there is now a socialist block on the city council and that that can hold up legislation that can, you know, uh, actually take on Adams directly. Um, But because of the shitty campaign he ran, and I think he frankly did this intentionally, knowing well that socialists were going to win. Uh, there are some Republicans that are on the council now, too, in New York City. Well, zooming out from the lesson to learn here from this extremely black pillable event that people are having with the with the uh, India Walton campaign, it, it's uh, legislative battles and getting council seats and stuff like that. But more than that, I, and more abstractly, it's about building power. You know, watching somebody win and upset primary and then just essentially be cheated out of the election on the general it is really hard to stomach but it it does right right after last year kind of remind you like even if we had gone whole hog somehow made bernie win the democratic primary this is probably what they would have done to him and it probably would have been the same effect we'd have like president michael bloomberg at 60 percent of the vote or just trump again really yeah um but Capital's not going to back off just because you beat them in a vote, you know, um, right. which means yeah. you do have to win overwhelmingly and with popular majority in a wide swath of society. You can't just win the game that, you know, small businessmen win in their role to get onto a bigger platform. Yeah. And, and it's it's we don't have it's it's tough because we don't have time. With, you know, climate change and so many other issues, but it takes time. Right. And that's uh, but a lot of a lot of things can happen very quickly at the local level. That's what we've seen in states like North Carolina and Florida, which, you know, this has gone under the radar, too. But they both elected uh, DSA members to to local positions. Uh, an entire city in Massachusetts, Somerville, was very close. That entire council almost got taken over by by DSA. So uh, I think it's possible um that we could we could see more of this right we're 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 continually making progress and every year it seems it's a it's a smaller lift to get to get more people and before you know it we'll have a pretty substantive machine that of course has to work in conjunction with uh extra electoral efforts but what's Um, the difference between now and like five years ago if you think about it because there is there's a difference in the story that's happening from when like AOC got elected to the Walton campaign. And it's not that, you know, socialists went out and did a door to door people's knocking campaign or whatever and tried their best because you do that both times. The difference is 
the ruling class is like waking up on how to fight back now because they didn't have to play any defense for so long. Yeah, there was a window where we could just kind of throw upsets on them and they didn't know what to do about it. But people have been talking like that. All the media talks about is like the six left of center <laughs> Congress people we have in office. That's where movement or um, media politics is. Like the people with money are aware of what we're trying to do. And we need to mm -hmm. actually have tangible gains to back that shit up because it's not going to be able to work just by surprise anymore. Right. Yeah. Uh, I think that's true. Right. We'll catch people. You know, we can't catch people asleep at the wheel. Obviously, AOC was a huge wake up call to every corrupt incumbent in in Congress in the Democratic Party. Uh, but, yeah, it's I think. We need a formidable. You need a working class movement. And uh, exciting stuff is happening for working people right now. There's more strike activity than there's been in 40 years and a labor market that's conducive to sending more on the way. Yeah. And those things, again, have to have to work in conjunction with each other. There is, of course, a rise in labor militancy right now. John Deere, I think that this is in. In a way, the most important result of Tuesday was the John Deere workers voted to not accept a contract. It wasn't that bad of a contract, but it was not enough, and uh, it was not what they're striking for. And so wasn't they, it like the third one or something? Something like that. Yeah, they've um, thrown back multiple one of them. So these like aren't scared people anymore. These aren't like right. workers you've essentially bullied into going on strike. These are people with demands, right? And because this has showed them that they. They have the power, you know, and uh, I think that's one of the biggest arguments against, uh, for lack of a better term, normies in America. One of the biggest arguments against socialism and against unions, really, isn't necessarily the red baiting, isn't necessarily the scaremongering. It's like, well, can we really do this? Right. Uh, because I yeah, think people in cynicism, right. it's like incredibly powerful and they really got it in there yeah people are people are so fucking depressing when you talk to them about this sort of shit i got into this thing with somebody over um not to get into this but there was this thing over the week or over the last week of uh, a chapter a dsa chapter in madison requesting that bowman be like like uh, expelled from the dsa because of the way he's voting and all this shit or whatever this guy was tweeting at me like the same old rhetorical bullshit from like 2016, where he was just saying like, you people lose everything because your purity tests and you won't go along with people who are 99% on the same page as you or like 90%, I guess is the figure they always use. And that's why you lose everything. And you don't understand this like myth about like coalition building or whatever. And I just was talking to the guy and I was like, no, you don't see this thing like that Alex was just talking about. Like capital always asserts itself. Like it's never going. We're never going to form a coalition with, you know, en enough kind of flimsy liberals that say they're ninety percent on the same page as us, and then that ten percent not be incredibly meaningful. People's heads are still full of this gobbledy gobbledygook, man. It's really insidious. You're far better off getting workers to join your side than to go through all of the hoops to win over your Elizabeth Warren friends. Yeah. Well, yeah. I mean, I do think like 
I don't know if we want to get caught up in this, but like the Bowman thing, that's not even like this was literally about a tweet, you know, that he about Colin Powell. Like I, I, I kind of see. I don't know. Maybe we shouldn't. I mean, I, I thought this, it was but, about to be voted on. So I, well, it was in part. So it was about the the Colin Powell, but I think this this is about you know the difference between. So it's materialism what, it's party and structure. Yeah, but you don't you want to have some... a, a, a movement where you can like actually exert control over people who say they're acting on your behalf or not. And Bowman, as I saw a lot of people making this point, does not care if he's kicked out of the DSA. We're a, we're a small part of his coalition. Right? Think, why would he? <laughs> people I are saying think, like no, this I, is a huge deal. Like it's going to get him elected or whatever the next time around. Well, but it's then. The I think he, I mean I think he would care to an extent, but like it the, might hurt the his point feelings, being though, if that's the point. <laughs> but like, what what would it gain us? In nothing. Like this wouldn't do anything. It would alienate his constituents too, who are people we need. That's not uh, true, but though, the Anders, point, because it sets a standard. Yeah, but wait, the standard I, has been set, but I, well, we can set the standard without ex, which expelling I, him from the organization, which number one would create a really bad precedent. Like this is, you know, very we can't we shouldn't be ad hoc and and willy nilly about just kicking people out. He was censured as he should be. And, you know, listening to him after the vote, it sounds like this is something he won't do again because he's had communication with. And number one, he doesn't live in a district with a with with that's like a balanced, you know, constituency on Israel, Palestine. It's a very heavily pro-Israel district. Even with that, his voting record has been overwhelmingly anti-Israel. He made one vote that was bad. It was inconsequential, but it was still bad. And he was censured by the organization. And we can, I think, prevent this from happening again with organization, with communication. But to just throw the baby out with the bathwater, I think, is a big mistake. Well, Listen, expulsion may be like extreme, but like I, you, I agreed something should happen. But I, def- I feel like you have made this point about DSA endorsements before, where like they have to actually mean something, or else, like this hasn't. There's no functional accountability over these politicians, and what the fuck are, are we even doing? You know, right? Remember, but remember, if it's literal, but if if it's literally anything we don't like that they do causes an expulsion, then I think that would just be insanely counterproductive, right? There has to be a scale of like reactions to bad votes, bad statements, whatever. Like if we're just, I mean, to me, this is sort of idealism, right? That we just need the people with the best possible politics and analysis. And this is a guy who didn't run on foreign policy. And again, his overall voting record is very good on Palestine, on Israel. He made a bad vote and should be held accountable for it. He was censured, and I th- he's what been in contact. What is Jamal Bowman bringing us? We're not, we're not the people he's looking to serve. If he's if he's not like a hundred percent into our game, what do we gain from giving him our stamp? You know, well, right. he, he, he introduced and they were the, like, you know, you're shooting yourself in the foot, and it, it's like, what do you mean? Is the DSA's purpose to elect democrats no it's more specific than that there's got to be some kind of rubric for these things as it stands right now like i would understand if the we were farther along in movement building and there's a wide swath of uh, of dsa electeds who uh were were getting thrown out left and right but as it stands right now the, the stamp is just like a nice decal he can use 
and he's a, a a nice figurehead we can use. And if he's not serving our interests, but that's just not true. Like this is, but this just isn't true. He's introduced the Green New Deal for public schools and worked in conjunction with DSA to get it into the Build Back Better Act. Like that was Bowman working with DSA. Like he's stood against Palestine, or excuse me, against. Uh, Military aid for for there it is. <laughs> he stood against Palestine, just like Andrew. He stood wanted. against the the attack on Palestine. He he has worked with DSA. Like I, I just don't think this is a smart move. Like what are I we see getting? You out of getting it? very invested in Bowman as a politician when this is a question of party structure. It is no, but it absolutely is, and we can't set this. This is an insane precedent to set. We're You're kicking somebody at out this over a tweet. Precedent being set the other way, which is terrible. Which is that we can get you into office, and you can just treat us like your fucking entourage the whole time. But yeah. hey, that's not what's happened. He did one. We're talking about one vote in a tweet that for which he was censured. Like that, you're not. We didn't like say that's great. No, we and and he's. And you look at what happened with AOC. She, you know, when John McCain died, she gave this nice little eulogy and people were, you know, very upset about it. And after that, she doesn't really eulogize war criminals anymore. So like to say one and done, I think is just a big, big mistake. We can actually work with uh, these people and get them to shift positions and get them to do more of what we want. And by the way, they're doing 99% of what we want. Like there's no better you know, option where so there's, if, if, uh, Jamal Bowman like had voted no, instead of yes, like I it, don't number one, wouldn't have made a difference. 99%. Can I just throw what out other votes other than that? Other than that, what votes? Look, we're going, we're just, let's just move on from this because this could take up another like 30 minutes of the podcast. Jake, do you have anything new you want to add? Well, people do like fighting on podcasts, so I actually say, as a producer, <laughs> let's continue. <laughs> because this will get people to comment and stuff. Anders was right. And fucking fuck you. You're you're silencing Alex. Um, so please, if no you're listening. Did, angry, by the way, more of you should be saying that I'm being silenced. My silencing is violence, and it's wrong. Yeah. I woke up and chose violence. No, I was just going to say, I was thinking about this the other day, and I did a little thought experiment in my head. And I think it, I think it makes sense. So follow me on this if this makes sense. What if the DSA literally endorsed every Democrat, right? Then we would all agree this is a meaningless endorsement. Uh, but you could find quantity counter the argument that works against the DSA, which is that like, oh, it's we only got four guys in there, right? So you could go nominally, look, socialism is very popular in America. The, the, we have the socialist organization, all these pe people that are endorsed by it are in office. But that would be like a ridiculous farce, right? The other extreme of this little scenario is, you know, having too tight of a fucking reign on who gets an endorsement or who gets to work with the organization. Then you have kind of the problem that we're like currently in, which is uh, people go, oh, you only have one guy, you know, right, you and, become a fringe group. Right. So my question is between those two things, those two extreme ridiculous scenarios, there's a threshold, right? There's yes. like a line that we'd have to find a yes. theoretical line. Do we think that that is the line that is in practice right now, or does it need to be tweaked to some degree? What do you think? I think it's pretty close to where it should be right now. And if you look at the history of DSA, it was 100% what you were describing at first, which is we would give endorsements willy-nilly. Anybody who was like 
sort of anti-NAFTA in the 90s, got a DSA endorsement. They didn't have to seek it. We we went to them. We've changed uh, our priorities and we've changed our – the organization is completely different. I would not have joined DSA in you know 2004, but we're in an organization now where politicians come to us. Bowman, um, we were a small part of the coalition. That's true, but we did make a decisive impact, and so he had to get that endorsement. Uh, I totally agree. There should be a threshold. I just think Jamal Bowman – has not like people are saying, oh, he's just a another Democrat and stuff like he was one of the only and this is, you know, I tweeted this and people take umbrage at it. But I just genuinely do believe it. I really do think social media distorts people's idea of what's going on. So if you're people are just seeing, you know, Jamal Bowman doing cringe, cringe, cringe and did this he, bad vote, then more, like he like did a tribute to Colin Powell. Right. Yeah. Like shit like that. It's you're right. right. It maybe is being distorted through social media, but the social media also, regardless of the fact that it is distorted, is how stuff gets out there. So, you know, it's as distorting as the fucking newspaper. I mean, the new politics is like using the distorted lens of social media to your advantage, like Trump or AOC or any of these big personality driven politicians, right? So, like, that you might be right. I don't think it really matters, though. Yeah, I, all I'm saying is that, like, yes, there absolutely should be a threshold. I don't think Bowman has met the threshold for expulsion by one inconsequential vote that was, you know, again, I think was terrible, but it was for a defense system and is, you know, there's plenty of, uh, we can understand why he made it, given his the composition of his district. But what I am concerned about with this measure in particular is this eliminates you know, the like there should be a process for someone being ex- expelled. There was a disciplinary measure taken, right? He was condemned for taking this vote. And from there, he talks with leadership, he talks with the international committee and different organizations that are, can explain to him why this was a bad vote. And with, he has a chance to not do it again and be consistent with the rest of his record, which again is overwhelmingly on our side on foreign policy issues but to just say one and done without any process whatsoever i think sets a really bad standard not just for electeds but for any member of the organization like we we shouldn't just be kicking people out um on a whim based on like what one chapter that's frankly run by cranks who run an idiotic magazine tempest which uh basically you can tempest magazine which is run by a bunch of trats is good for one thing, and that is reading it and doing the opposite of everything they suggest. They are complete cranks who have never or they could not organize their way out of a paper bag. They should be ignored and mocked. Uh, so, yeah, I again, that's I just think it sets a really bad precedent and does, frankly, shoot ourselves in the foot. I just don't think it's a very materialistic way to look at it. OK, fair enough. I have no more to say about this because to be honest with you, I like I have ideology at hand here, but I don't have I don't I wasn't paying that much attention to this. So for all I know, I don't know what I'm talking I about. I mean, if he was like, uh, let's say Anthony Weiner, right? Who I'm talking about, like pre Carlos Danger, Anthony Weiner, who was pro Medicare for all, a very progressive on uh, economic issues, but just disgustingly anti-Palestine then I would completely agree. 
and I, and maybe DSA gave him an endorsement at one point. I don't know, but if there there has to be like you're saying, there you has to be leader. some right. There has we're not, I don't I'm not ta- I'm not I don't in, in any other circumstance want to let in peps people pro- progressive except Palestine, but that's not what we're talking about here. We're talking about one inconsequential vote. Like if it, if this was a broader pattern, and if it becomes one, then yeah, we should talk about expulsion. But that's not where it is right now, and I think people are really jumping the gun. I don't think this guy would care if he got kicked out. Um, let's move on. Yeah, ding ding. All right, maybe we should just over. yeah. Okay. Um, um, we talked Buffalo. We talked New York City, Boston, the Woo. The, the Woo, woo train is coming one. through. That, by the way, little segue. This is a great segue. Michelle Wu is a great example, I think, of somebody who is, you know, what we're talking about earlier. DSA should focus on local races, where possible, congressional representatives. Uh, We should not do executive seats. We can vote for them, right, and run sort of campaigns parallel to them. And Michelle Wu is a great example of someone who wants a Green New Deal for Boston, uh, free public transit, but she did not support ending Boston Police Department's program where they have like an exchange program with Israel. That to me is a red line, right? And this is a great example of someone who's like good on a lot of issues. But if you're going to have that position, then we're not going to give you the endorsement. I think that's a totally fair and reasonable thing. And it's also still good that she got elected and we can, you know, continue to press on on those Very issues. Very easy litmus test for a lot of these candidates. Are they openly not a socialist? No, you probably shouldn't have them in your socialist organization. Right. Yeah. That's another. Yes, I, I agree with that. Yeah, because uh, I mean, we're it all also very happy doesn't... for her as the birthday girl. <laughs> you can still be individually in support of someone's candidacy as like a damage control situation, which 99% of voting is, and not in favor of them being like endorsed by and part of your organization that is specifically socialist. Right. Yes. Yeah. Completely agree. Plating like this thing where you're talking about whether somebody should be endorsed or not, with like you not wanting them to be like at all, but just exist or whatever. And it's not the case, but the the, the, the DSA is not the Democratic Party. Like, there's reasons that these are two separate things. Yes. So I don't know. I mean, doesn't I guess I'm looking at this and just kind of worrying like about that thing people say about the DSA just sort of becoming full of liberals. And then what's the point? It's a liberal thing now. And it's basically just pod save America. And what the fuck was the point of the whole thing? You know? Right. Uh, Yeah. I think that's a totally valid, totally valid concern. But the, you know, if you look at the trajectory of DSA, it has gone from literally that to, I think a generally good place where we have some flexibility, um, but when we endorse a candidate, and number one means that they're a socialist, and number two means that we're actually going to be involved in campaigning for them, and that they have, you know, shared uh, shared values. Um, this is something we should talk about. They they did it. They passed the bill. They passed the infrastructure bill. That's right. It happened. The BIF, the which is such a funny trillion name. dollar bill. I'm sorry, one point seven trillion dollar. I'm sorry, one point two trillion dollar bipartisan infrastructure bill. Well, are we going to get infrastructure? I'm so excited. I hope I get a bridge. <laughs> Don't we love infrastructure? Pave me, Daddy. Um, Pave, I, I have a little article holes. up from CNN.com, our neutral no, uh, news source. 
that everyone loves here. Uh -huh. uh, this is under the headline, Some Issues Resolves. Democratic sources say that negotiations over immigration provisions have been resolved. The last remaining hurdle to passing a bill is the demand by five moderates that they get a CBO score before a vote. I don't know what that means. Uh, the main story for this is that this <laughs> this is like the conservative version of the bill. And uh, this is the one vote on it that they didn't get any of the squad to vote for it on. And now CNN is airing other articles being like squad tries to stop infrastructure bill. Yeah, that's the, the leading thing. And that was going into Virginia and all the postmortems are blaming progressives for not passing the infrastructure bill as if that was somehow the decisive issue in of Virginia. The six progressives we have in there. Right. They I don't know if they tweaked it or not to get those Republicans on board, but I I do think like this is kind of the death knell for the Build Back Better Act. And I probably the calculation was that well that sucks anyway. It's been whittled down so much that we might as well just, you know, uh vote for this thing to get the because if people aren't familiar the there was a two-track strategy the progressives were going to hold up the bipartisan infrastructure bill until well, i'd like to introduce something i've come up with called the build back worse act yeah <laughs> and also known as bbw because it's a big beautiful bill it's a <laughs> fine lady here <laughs> let's listen to this man with the handlebar mustache see what That's, he has in that bill are we all assigned one BBW. I'm trying to. Uh, yeah, that's part Gordon of it. Peterson, Bill. We all get a big, beautiful woman. Um, I'm trying to figure out what is actually in here. There's 550 billion of federal investments in America's infrastructure over five years for roads, bridges, mass transit, rail, airports, ports, mm -hmm. and waterways. And then, so everything is completely. Uh, uh, there's there's a large part of this is like a private slush fund. I understand that, and I think. I think the way they whipped 13 Republicans over was the six squad members who were voting against it uh, were holding out for some other provisions. Like I saw Ilhan Omar tweeting about this throughout the week about uh, some stuff they were trying to get in there. And I think they were just caught on uh, with their defense down. And it well, was they a turnover wanted the, on uh... downs. Oh, a little football terminology Use a football there. term. Happy Thanksgiving, everyone. <laughs> well, I think the... He's playing. He's unvaccinated. Let him do a touchdown. Uh, go ahead. Sorry, we're <laughs> not getting into that just yet. I think they were trying to go for two, if you will, on... Uh, Interesting. Football. On the uh, Build Back Better Act, which, like, again, was had a bunch of decent stuff in it has been whittled down to nothing. And they were still like, we're not passing bipartisan without build back. And they were like, fuck you very much. And they got the Republicans to do it. So now that's going to be law. It's going to bail out uh, the fossil fuel industry. And then like basically nothing for um, the fossil fuel industry, which if you haven't paying, been paying attention this week is uh, the only ones actually against climate change. Oh, yeah? Did they come out against it? That's very brave of them. Yeah, COP26 is, was this week. Um, we, we've heard lots of speeches from top oil executives about how they're the only ones trying to stop climate change. And uh, if we switch too fast, it's going to hurt the poor people. And Exxon is trying to, to help 
poor people around the world and all they're wearing the hot dog costume and saying we're trying to find the guy who did this and everything they're all wearing the hot dog costume which is confusing watching that many people dress like that how'd you cook those hot dogs with natural gas (laughs) the hot dogs are slowly warming over a period of a hundred years um what all got cut out of the bill i've been like vaguely just just looking at the news every few days and going, yeah, is pretty much what I figured was going to happen. They cut out all the shit that they said they were going to do. What was it? Free college, free community college, free community college. Um, they the child care thing. Banshin was against because he was kids like, are well, fucked. Yeah, fuck you, kids. He was like, this discourages work. Fuck your college but- book boy. Get a job. <laughs> Like the daycare stuff, I think Manchin was against because he thought it discourages work. But the whole point is fundamentally like a, you know, to help capitalism. The whole point is so parents can go out and work because their kids are taken care of. Finally. Where that came from, right? Yeah. (laughs) Right. Um, There's a provision in it for electrical vehicles. There's like superchargers. So like Tesla owners. The is government this in, has pumped so much money into Tesla by this point. They just like really need it to work out for them. <laughs> is this infrastructure or the Build Back Better? This is the infrastructure plan. Oh, okay. sorry. I got them switcherooed in my head. Um, yeah, so I don't think Build Back Better is going to pass because they, they made a deal with the centrists to actually follow through, which cannot be, you know, <laughs> counted on, obviously. Um, so this is what, you know, they're going to run on in 2022. And uh, it's probably just the way these things go. Really go. Well, because Republicans are going to be like, this is communism. We've unleashed communism with our uh, one third the size infrastructure bill with nothing in it except corporate handouts, and then uh, they're going to win by ninety uh, percent. Are they all these people about to die? Like, what is? I hate Joe Biden. <laughs> Why is he doing this? Wasn't the whole neoliberal weird centrist thing be like winking and going? It's but when I get in there, I'm going to do all this shit. I'm making all these compromises so that when I get in. I can, and then his brain melts and he forgets what he was doing. And now we're just, why it's assuming that it is like a balanced bill or some good stuff and some bad stuff, which is arguable, but assuming there's some good stuff in it in the midterms, the Republicans are going to take credit for the good stuff and say that was us because it's bipartisan. The entire fact that you made this bipartisan is just politically idiotic. Like you should have rammed through the best possible reconciliation package, and then the Republicans can't take credit for anything, and you can, right? right? If you're a Democrat, it just doesn't make sense. Which is why th- this entire process was doomed from the beginning, because the one thing we had a promise on from the Biden campaign is I'm not passing a bill without Republican support. <laughs> right. And uh, yeah, this is what he we got get. in. He fucking got in and he just started saying, like, I love Republicans. You need a strong Republican. You need to have a good right. backbone what? of Republicans. It's very important. After just running on like Trump is evil and he's going to kill the whole planet like Sephiroth and shit with his big sword. But now also, you know, they're friendly and they're my buddies. 
What Americans need is a Mitt Romney dad, but a Kirsten Cinema mom who can have That's that freaky, angry sex that you don't get every day. It's important that we have both a mom and a dad, or else we're going to grow up as a nation with uh, emotional issues and. Uh, and we're going to start stealing. Yeah. Wearing our little headphones too much and not respecting our elders. And that's why no one should be allowed to go to the bathroom at work anymore. Right. <laughs> is that in the bill? In their hood at mass. You know, it's like it's not like in it, in it. But this is where this is all leading. <laughs> yeah. If anything, I feel like the news story here is uh, the Sunrise Movement people are just now following Joe Manchin around everywhere he goes and he started trying to run them over with his car oh really yeah you didn't see the video of that they're no, like blocking his driveway and he was just like i'm going through <laughs> god <laughs> oh man i don't think there's good audio of it i do i wish i could put it in here but it is truly a visual spectacle That's they should do cape fear shit to his houseboat i like it <laughs> Is there anything else we want to get to on the on the way out here? I feel like we've we got most of the events uh, of the day. We can talk we talk about Virginia, but it's probably a quick stop on the way out of here, don't you think? Yeah, we could. It's for lovers. It's where I lost my virginity. Is Beat that true? Uh, yes, in it's Virginia. A, Are there a, any uh, folksy homegrown homegrown things happening while you were busting busting out, busting V V style? Was the song Meet Virginia playing? Uh, it was in silence, which is, you know, regrettable. But um, <laughs> there were some some homegrown things happening, I suppose. It was with a Scientologist, so there's probably some weird stuff going on with her, you know, system. Um, mm. But is it – can we – I feel like Virginia has been beaten to death. Can we talk about – Oregon and Mr. Nicholas Kristoff, because I guess yeah, let's definitely fun. talk about that. So in case people are not familiar, one Nicholas Kristoff, who writes, wrote, he retired from his post, stepped down from his job writing for the New York Times, which has been Nicholas doing for Kristoff is a big anti sex work guy. We talked about him on the show a few times when we were talking about like uh, Exodus cry and all that crazy shit. Right. The anti-porn people. Yeah, that's he's sort of the liberal version of that. Uh, And he stepped down to run for governor of Oregon, which I don't think he can pull it out. I just watching him speak. He's incredibly uncharismatic. Uh, But, you know, be on watch if you're in Oregon for this guy to take it because he sucks. He is uh, wrong constantly. He's like a globetrotter and likes to write uh, graphic, deeply reported columns. This is the Pulitzer committee that at personal risk focus on genocide. Uh, he cut his teeth on the Tiananmen square uh, situation in the early nineties. So you can tell where he's coming from, but he, um, you know, goes around and, and talks about these tragedies and his goal uh, is to find the most depressing portrait of suffering around the globe in the third world and show it to American audiences so they can do something, which is you know, something I actually was thinking about after I read this. And this is a great article from Slate, 
from 2014 about Mr. Kristoff. But like, how is that necessary? Right? Because that's something. And I think we have thought out why we don't do that on the left, really. Like we talk about the oppression that the global South faces, but we don't typically like try to, you know, find one sad person and, you know, do the tearjerker thing. We don't do the for a cup of coffee a day, this kid with a fly at his face, you might not have to think about him anymore thing because that Mm -hmm. just that's just a weird charity scam. Yeah. Doesn't really look at this as in a in a big holistic sense as a thing involving capital and all that stuff. Right, right. And I wonder if we sh- if we should because like you know they they're effective at getting at least sort of the petite bourgeoisie to pay pay attention to these things and and throw money at it that a lot of the time doesn't go anywhere. Um, but so this is a story from him in Sudan. Where he's like, I'm so I'm sometimes embarrassed by how clinical I can become when I'm out reporting. That's how he talks. He's not gay. Uh, so he'll try to find the most compelling story that he can. But he's uh, he's predicted that he'd hear some heart rendering story about a 30 year old man. And frankly, I will know that I can do better as an anecdote. I want to get American readers to care about my story. And if I have some middle aged man in my lead, they're going to tune out. Instead, he's going to find some nine-year-old girl with soulful eyes. So he's in search of the most... The eyes have to be soulful. (laughs) Right. It's not going to work. Yeah, and he's written, you know, uh, these blood-curdling, really disturbing columns, right? But And they're, you know, to, in his view, generate interest and uh, compassion. Um, But one of these was about Cambodia. Uh with a young woman named Somali Mam, who is a, quote, telegenic Cambodian anti-trafficking activist who rescued a teenager uh, after overcoming her own sad backstory. She told Kristoff she'd escaped rape and torture as a child sex trafficking victim, and then her own 14-year-old daughter got kidnapped and a bunch of bad stuff happened to her. And so he oh my uh, God. he boosted this story, wrote about it, and live tweeted a raid he went on with her in uh, 2011 to a brothel. Um, and But as it turned out, Newsweek did a little digging, and the, the worst parts of Somali Mam's story were completely made up. Yeah, he does that shit all the time. Yeah. This is why I think it's so funny that he thinks – that his play is going to be for governor of fucking Oregon. Because we don't think about Oregon. Oregon has like, like he likes to do this stuff with the sex work angle where he goes and he talks about how like, you got to see how exploited these women are in this den of iniquity. But like Oregon is home to the most liberal, like egalitarian strip clubs and shit the strip clubs in like portland you go in there there's like a men's and a women's and it's like you go with your wife and you're like see you later go have fun nice. and then women all have armpit hair and they're all vegan and have like white dreadlocks and shit and they're covered in tattoos and they're dancing to like neutral milk hotel and like <laughs> it's just it's not like even in the spirit of strip clubs where the bit is that it's like degrading it's more like you know you're watching them do empowering 
like wow she did a backflip up there how'd you do that so like there's how are you gonna take this guy's angle and be like what they're doing to moonbeam is <laughs> like something's got to be done about it <laughs> like, <laughs> it's just the culture is so like in favor of sex work and drug use and all this crazy shit that's bananas unless he's trying to like kind of tap into some like silent majority kind of weird i mean there are like nazis and shit over there who are probably the other side of the culture war against that shit no i think he's going for a liberal angle but it's interesting because i was looking at his website he's running as a democrat and he doesn't have a platform up but what he's talking about so far is jobs and homelessness because it's a big problem in in oregon uh but very curious as to what the solutions are going to be because he has a long history of defending and promoting really sweatshops uh he wrote this article in 2000 for New York Times that was two cheers for sweatshops. And this was in the heat of sort of the anti-sweatshop movement, which was very big in Oregon. And maybe people will remember that. Uh, I mean, by very big, I mean like a couple people. Um, but he was basically making the the old argument that these places uh, need time to develop and – you know, sweatshops, the conditions can be bad. They're really tough. But the workers want to be there because their lives before the sweatshops are even worse. So he'll, he's written, you know, this portrait of people digging through trash in uh, somewhere in uh, Southeast Asia. And, you know, like it's true. Yes, people in a lot of cases do want to work in – sweatshops because they have no better option but that's the fucking problem is that they don't have a better option so let's give them the other option and like as far as improvements and stuff in labor standards um that doesn't come about just from capitalists making more money that's just not how the history of this country works or like any country with workers protections where they just like they made enough money so they're like okay now i guess we'll treat you well no it was as a result of struggle from the workers' movement. And if you have these countries that often are like pop- propped up by the United States, rely on, you know, IMF loans or whatever, uh, and the, the government will crack down on that organizing in a way that's even more repressive than the United States. So they don't and – the, and his predictions in 2000, it's been 21 years, still pretty bad conditions in these places, I'm guessing. It's not like, you know, well, <laughs> a great – uh, like an amazing office where they have, you know, cold brew on tap at the sweatshop and, you know, sofas and a ping pong table. No, I'm pretty sure it's still dirt, very bad conditions. Um, and of course he doesn't have an answer for that. Um, yeah, but his, his solutions are always, and he says, uh, he's asked, do your columns risk promoting short-term fixes. And he says, well, I've become more sympathetic to Band-Aids over the years. And the uh-huh. big overarching solutions tend to dead end, dead end in symbolic conferences or legislation that doesn't produce. Uh, but showing this one person will use suffering will make America have a heart, right? And uh, Or inspiring stories. And this is, you know, he's absolutely case in point, the like the white savior narrative. But he um, 
teamed up with this guy in uh, about 10 years ago named Greg Mortensen, who was a mountain climber who supposedly had built schools in Pakistan and Afghanistan and helped fund this uh, organization, CAI, <clears throat> Central Asia Institute, a nonprofit which promoted literacy, especially among girls. And that's always Christoph's go-to is like, I really like helping girls. Um, so this guy from Montana went to the Himalayas and like did some that great stuff. Charlotte's web. Yeah. But Christoph says that um, alone Montana and staying at the cheapest guest houses has done more to advance U.S. interests in the region than the entire military and foreign policy apparatus of the Bush administration, which mm, might be true, but that's not a good thing if that's true, that w this one like dude uh, can just supposedly do all this great work while the government isn't stepping in uh, and fixing the messes that we've created in the global South. But uh, he writes this book, Mortensen does three cups of tea about all these schools he's built. And then it turns out John Krakauer, who's a, another like sort of a mountain climbing writer uh, read the memoir and his internal bullshit detector redlined. He writes this huge expose about all this stuff that he fudged and was completely lying about. Um, and the organization, the finances were screwy too. So he ended up having to give a million dollars back that he'd kept for personal <laughs> use. And Christoph is confronted with all this and he's like, well, Let's not allow the uproar to obscure that larger message of the possibility of change. So time and time again, he's been outed as like having uh, given credulity to, to a charlatan and just like kind of weasels his way out of it by being like, well, let's let's focus on the big picture. And the big picture is that all the charities in the world are not are just structurally incapable of solving these problems. And if you're not interested in actually changing the you know international debt policies and global development regimes then uh you don't actually really care about this stuff and this is something i want to impart on any journalist who is listening this is a story that i think deserves a lot of coverage that i didn't learn about until recently because it's very complicated stuff but the imf every year gives all of its member countries sdrs which is a reserve currency they're the ability to create more of their own money. And the IMF has weighted voting. So the richer of a country you are, the more of a vote you get, and also the more SDRs you get. So the United States is sitting on a ton of this reserve currency that we're not using. And there are countries all across yeah, the global south. You can forget getting your DS. These are SDRs. Okay. <laughs> Thank you. Joke that I had to contribute to this. Please go on. No, I appreciate it. Uh, but these things, like, we're sitting on them. There are countries who are really struggling right now to recover from COVID. They don't have vaccines because we're not funding WHA programs that would help them develop the vaccines, and you know, partially to do with the patent shit. Uh, so we could easily just give these countries money like that. Doesn't even require Congress. The Treasury Department could do it right fucking now. 
but they're not doing it. And part of the problem is because people don't know about this because Kristoff is just, you know, plugging little charities and little people, you know, getting able to to make their documentaries about how they, you know, went to some country in Africa and like gave two people uh, shorts that were very nice shorts. And now their life is so much better. Like, no, that's not actually doing anything. Uh, but the question is, and this goes back to the earlier thing, to get people to pay attention to this, do we need to do the sob stories? Do we need to get find the little kid with the fly in his face and show that as the left and say we have to overturn IMF policy? How, how do what does our messaging uh, look like for that? That's what I'm sort of considering. Do you think the little kid with the fly on his face from the '90s is an adult now, and he's going to go back and sue Sally Struthers like the Nirvana baby did to <laughs> the band's family? I would be pissed. I hope so. Yeah. Like I, I hope bet. he's an adult now. I hope that <laughs> right. too. Last time I checked in with him, things weren't going so well. Right. Well, I bet I they know, were man. like, "Not enough flies. Get these flies over here." I don't know. I think you're right in the like the the. Uh, the, the the squalor porn thing is like fundamentally a byproduct of something that's not good mm-hmm. and insidious and is just appealing to people's you know guilt basically which is not a good way to get people to join a thing i don't think or to think about something in a long lasting way yeah it's good it's for you you're the fly face kid we're all the fly face kid <laughs> Yeah, I mean, I agree with that, but how do we get people to to care about the fly face kid in an actually productive way? You know, because his whole thesis is that you tell uh, people a statistic and it means nothing. You show them a face with soulful eyes and they want to help. Is there something to that or should we be like consistent with like this is not, you know, like the narrative stuff is. Uh, yeah, I know what you mean. I mean, sure. Like. Uh, I don't know. I'm a big proponent of propaganda and the cultural aspect, all this stuff. And I think all that shit's really important. It just that it's got to be, well, it's got to be like distinguishable from the other thing, I think, because otherwise you're just going to get mixed up. People people often hear shit that we talk about. They're just like, wow, those guys are real liberal. You know, they just think it's like the same thing as all this other stuff. So the distinction is really important to me, I think, but like, I don't know. I don't know how to go about that. And that's the kind of million dollar question right now. Like how, how do we message this shit? We had a stupid experiment on the internet for a while where it was like, maybe if we're racist and uh, we become aggravated and turn into the Joker by listening to podcasts, we can get, you know, people that are angry about shit to join us and form a revolution. And that didn't really happen. I don't think. Um, there's always other dumb ideas going around about like, you know, uh, fuck, I don't know. I've every once in a while I meet somebody who's involved in activism who's still just like, we're going to levitate a bus and then it's going <laughs> to, you know, crash into the White House or whatever. I don't know. I don't know, man. I, mean, I think it's a, good, it's a good fucking question. Is anyone that's involved in anything specifically related to that issue that's, that's coming up from a, a left angle should probably keep this in mind. But right. I'm not. I don't know. Someone should maybe, maybe like, maybe there is a point as a, you know, as comedians, as critics of culture to be like, we need to make it a norm for our generation to know that uh, charities are bullshit, you know? 
Because when I was growing mm-hmm. up, I thought, oh, those are uh, people are they're doing God's work and they're nicer than me. And I'll never like I feel guilty that I'm not giving money. And it feels so fucking relieving it older as an adult to be like, yeah, this is a fucking pyramid scheme. <laughs> right. <laughs> Keeping my quarter after I buy a coffee or whatever. <laughs> that seems appealing, you know? Yeah. No, I mean, I because I, you know, have uh, was sort of politicized in a way by like anti sweatshop stuff um not fully politicized but that really caught my attention as a kid uh and they were kind of doing that tactic right the the guilt thing but it it didn't go anywhere and i wonder if that's because they're not connecting the dots um but i will say when i was this is now 10 years ago i had a job as one of those canvassers for this um charity organization and i at first i was like you know felt the way I do now, which is like this, this is a band-aid, right? This isn't really going to solve structural problems, but I also needed a job. Um, and it's a terrible job. It was great for like getting good at stand-up because uh, you get a thick skin with like, you know, bothering people on the street. But finally- It's a great job for allowing strangers to be mean to you. Yes, it Real absolutely premium. is. Right. <laughs> but this guy, I don't know what country he was from, but I think like Senegal, somewhere in West Africa- he just like cussed me out and said all the things that like I think uh, like this is not this is not the problem. It's the U.S. It's the IMF. And I was like, well, fuck, he's right. So I think in a lot of cases, the people in these countries don't necessarily want us uh, doing that. I mean, some of them do, but I think they often get it. And, you know, we should team up with them and have them sort of direct this stuff in a way. If you know that man from Senegal who swore at Anders 20 years ago, write in. We'd love to hear from you. <laughs> Maybe if you, you are him, we'll have you on, yeah. Yeah. We're here live with vengeful Senegalese man. Email us some swear words. All right, well, uh, I think we... Do we get everything? I think There's nothing we to say got... about Virginia, right? No one gives a shit. Carlisle Group versus Carlisle Group. We all know the story. Yeah. Democrats bad. Uh, Lee Carter, etc. He almost uh, had it. <laughs> he was in there. <laughs> uh, There's a, a map right now, uh, which everyone should check out, which shows all the DSA office holders in every state. There's a lot of them, more than you'd think. And Virginia, though, sadly, it says negative one. Because of Lee Carter, so shed um, a tear. Should we do some plugs and get out of here? I think we should. Yes. Yes. Okay. Good. At Anders Lee here on Twitter, Dursley One Instagram. Check out Redacted tonight, and uh, please volunteer for India Walton. People are going to say the election's over, and yes, technically. But uh, you got to keep fighting even after the election ends and take the fight to Byron Brown. Keep phone banking and annoying the people of Buffalo on behalf of the Walton campaign. What can happen now after the. Yeah, what are you doing? What are you doing? (laughs) We're annoying them. We're punishing them for their terrible decision. Oh, it's like a vengeful ghost kind of thing. Yes. And speaking of ghosts, check out our Patreon. Right. <laughs> yeah, we talked about just ghosts for a full 75 minutes this week. And we got to the bottom of them. They're out there. Mm-hmm. And um, the cops don't know what to do with them. Alex, you got anything? 
Um, you can follow me on Twitter at Patak Test Kitchen. I'll put all of my things on there. And that is all you need to know. Volunteer for the Byron Brown campaign. He's a plucky little, <laughs> plucky little mayor from a town with a lot of heart. Got locked uh, outside the gates of his own house. Poor guy. You got to help him get back in there. Uh, I mean, I guess this that plug does make sense. The Indy Walton thing, because I think she's going to have a future in politics after this. I heard murmurs of her running for other stuff. We'll see. You know, Byron um, Brown is actually the mayor, so he, I'm sure he could use your help. Yeah. Yeah. I'm, uh, for the record, I'm joking. I, I'm not actually telling people to phone back. Oh, you're serious. I was like, what? You could do that? Yeah, <laughs> let's get Bernie back in there. It's still happening. Okay. Um, yeah. Uh, thank you for coming and watching shows in Florida. Uh, my album came out yesterday, the 5th of November. Thank you for listening. If you want to watch it, or there's like a video version. There's like a special uh, you can see, too. Um, the links are all on my Twitter and I guess I'll put them on my website. I'm so tired. I don't want to update my website. Um, but you just Google it. You'll find it. I have a new hour out. It's on stand-up records. It's called Bad Omen. It's pretty good. I think pretty good is what the guy just said about his own album. Um, pretty Jack, good. Out. I made number four on iTunes yesterday. So I can nice. make comedy hosts all over the country lie and just say number one. No one will check. So <laughs> Listen for that soon. Um, you could have done that before. It, I already. Well, you can just lie. Who cares? I already did it. I'm number the one. Tip on of the week is lying. Clubs and colleges all over the country. Uh, volunteer for the Curtis Sliwa campaign. He's uh, very angry. <laughs> he got hit by a taxi, <laughs> and he needs uh, help carrying his. He cat needs more cats. If you have a cat that you want to get rid of, and you're in New York City. Yeah, he's forming a cat gang to go with his human gang. The Guardian Angel, the Guardian Jellicles. How about that? Huh? They dance around next to his feet. I have a live show in New York on the 13th. That is a week from today. Uh, Next Saturday, Big Break Stand Up run by our friend Gabe Pacheco. And I think it's in, you know, I'm not going to say because I think it might have moved venues, but I'll put it on uh, all my stuff, too. So you can come check it out. Look at my Instagram. Look at my pinned tweet or whatever, and it'll be there. And other than that, I'm not leaving the house for all of winter. And then there's more stuff booked after that. Okay, that's the show. It's It's finished.